today's scripture reading from Acts chapter 14. Let me just share a couple of introductory comments to you. First of all, you were supposed to be looking at and listening to the author Frank Viola this morning and not me. Thanks to COVID, he's not coming yet. But I can guarantee you that God willing, Frank and I are setting a date for his return and he will be here to lead a conference and to speak on Sunday morning and it will be a big blessing to you, I promise. Now, if you've been around here for a while, you've probably heard me mention Frank quite a bit and I imagine some of you, if only tongue in cheek, have thought, man, what a bromance. This guy is really obsessed with Frank Viola now. Please understand. It's really just comes down to this, and, and, and I want to explain it to you, and, and, and I've thought about this for days and days, trying to, trying to figure out how and even why I should bother to explain, but, you know, my journey as a Christian and as a, as a professional clergy person has not been typical, <laughs> and there is nothing about my clergy career that has been typical, and, and I'll just leave that to your imagination, but if there was uh, a circuitous way to get to the destination that most of my colleagues r reach more directly and, and generally with more uh, lauding and approval from their colleagues, uh, well, then I didn't take it. And so what I've done in no particular way to you know, reject or offend the, the status quo is to have a mind of my own and not try to win the approval or even the recognition of my colleagues. It's just something that I have not done. And consequently, I felt very isolated and alone. Um, being a pastor is a lonely job, it really is. And adding to that that you don't feel as comfortable with other clergy people and you don't feel as uh, much need to, to be approved of by them puts you in a place of isolation. So imagine that during this constant maturing process of a Christian, because believe it or not, pastors are Christians in the making too. Believe it or not, a 59-year-old pastor that's looking at retirement in five or six years is also still on a spiritual journey and is still trying to grow up in Jesus. And that is me. That is my goal. Um, if I were to separate myself in a word from some of the clergy, I know I would simply say they feel like they've arrived and they know everything they need to know and it's their job to tell it to you. <laughs> and I happen to think if I stand up here and say, I don't know, but I'll figure it out and we'll do it together, that's kind of my style. So imagine then the joy that I felt when I got a uh, Kindle device a few years ago because my iPad quit and I was too cheap to buy another one. And it came with Kindle Unlimited, which was, was a, a free lending service they offer. And imagine that there's this book that somehow jumps out and intrigues me that's free, because you know, I love free things. And it's called Insurgents by a guy named Frank Viola. And I keep thinking, I've heard of that guy. 
but I've never read his stuff. I think I'll take a look at that. And so I read the book Insurgents and I was blown away because for the first time in my adult life, I was hearing someone who has a respectable following and is someone that you know, obviously is appreciated and valued enough that, that, that in, uh, publishers will invest in his words and, and sell his books. You know, so the bottom line is, is the, the guy's got you know, best sellers out there, tens of thousands of readers, and yet this book is so radically different from anything I've read about Christian living and in the popular culture of Christianity. And there is a thing called pop Christianity, you know? And uh, there are people out there that market pop Christianity to shallow people, to shallow Christians. Insurgents was not a book for shallow people. It was a book that said, Dan, what you've been thinking, you haven't been thinking alone. What you've been hearing the Spirit of God say, you weren't hearing it alone. There were other people who were thinking and hearing along the same lines. The Spirit was at work, and here is an affirmation. Well, I started gobbling up everything I could get my hands on by this guy, more than anything at that stage to test whether I was a fool who had just bought into one book or whether this was somebody who was truly like-minded and someone with whom I share citizenship in the kingdom of Christ. Turns out he is among many countless people a citizen of the kingdom. And I started reading his blog posts, reading some other books. Uh, I got into a network that he offers for people who crave a deeper journey with Christ and one thing led to another, and I had an opportunity to go to his uh, little conference that he offers for people in his Deeper Journey Network uh, in Florida last fall. But thanks to COVID, there were only eight of us there, <laughs> and Frank. So by the grace of God, I got this opportunity to really get to know the guy, and it just turned out that we had very similar journeys. We were close in age, and we had very similar journeys, and is, is I was just infatuated with the idea that I could actually talk to someone that I could relate to on that level. You know, like, like you remember Keith Green's songs? Oh my gosh, those were transformational. And then I said something like, I went to the, the Keith Green concert at Oral Roberts University that the officials of Oral Roberts University shut down because two people were confessing things that they didn't want made public. <laughs> And he says, you were there? You know, and, and so we had those kinds of conversations. It's like the very things that shaped his view and mine, we had in common and yet vastly separated from each other by time and space. You know, it's kind of amazing, but it's also exactly how things work in the kingdom. Now, I don't want to keep talking like that, but it's because I, I really want you to understand that my goal is to get you to have a Christian biblical worldview and to be crazy in love with Jesus Christ and to give your life entirely to him for all eternity. That's my goal. And the fact that I found a person who happens to be a really useful tool in the Holy Spirit's toolbox is why I recommend these books to you. 
And I'm putting my credibility on the line with you by saying you can read these books and you can be benefit, benefit from them. In fact, what I want to do today with the rest of our time is preach a theme from Frank's latest book, which is called Hang On, Let Go. And I'm not trying to plug his books as much as I'm trying to take advantage of, of, of my situation as it develops. So I wasn't planning on preaching this morning. I wasn't planning on, on you know, distributing these books. <laughs> but as it turned out, Frank can't come right now because of COVID and there's more to the story, but I'll leave it at that for now. He lives in Florida. That should be a, a, a something of a sign to you why. But his publisher had already shipped two boxes of these books to my house so that when he got here, Frank could distribute them. And so Frank said to me, well, Dan, I'll tell you what, you distribute them and you tell the people that they can get these for a substantial discount as long as you have supplies on hand and then you can just send me the money later. But I'm not gonna try to convince you to buy this book as much as I'm gonna try to get you to see one aspect of the message in this book, because this is a really practical book that I think is written, it is so timely, and it is for this generation, and it is, it is exactly how I have felt. Once again, Frank's done it again. It's something that I have felt about dealing with trials and troubles and struggles over the years, and, and I've had my fair share. I just don't talk about them a lot. And this is somewhat autobiographical, but not too personal. And once again, if I were talking with Frank, I'd say, so you had that happen too? You know, let me tell you about when that happened to me. So in a way, this is kind of biographical about my own journey with hardship and difficulty. So let's talk about the theme here of hanging on and letting go and the two kinds of problems that you face as a Christian. We're going to read that scripture here in just a second, but when I talk about the two kinds of problems you face as a Christian, which is one of the chapters in the book, basically what I'm saying in my own summary is you want to be useful to God, but if you make yourself useful to God, you have to expect hardship. You know, if you want to fervently serve the Lord, then you have to expect hardship. If you want an easy cruise through life without any difficulty, don't serve the Lord. Don't praise the Lord. Don't plan on, on giving yourself to the Lord because that will probably result in what you think is an easier life, but not one that glorifies Christ. That's a fact. Let me show you what I mean. Let's read together from Acts chapter 14 now starting at uh, verse 19. Now at this point, Paul and his associates have established quite a ministry network in Antioch, which is uh, in Syria, just north of Israel. And it says, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city supposing he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to the city and had many disciples, they returned to Lystra, 
and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So suffering was expected. Paul was preaching the gospel, was taken outside town and stoned. Now stoning, you know, yeah, it's rock throwing, but generally what they did was they threw you in a ditch and then they just started throwing rocks down on top of you and the big boys threw big rocks and the little boys threw little rocks, you know, and, and eventually if enough fell on you, you were dead and buried all at the same time. And this was what stoning was. And so they walk away assuming that they've killed Paul and that's that. And they dust their hands off and leave him there. And his friends and, and disciples gather around him, perhaps picking the rocks off of him. And, and then he opens his eyes and he goes, boy, that hurt. You know, but then what does he do? He gets up <laughs> and he starts preaching the gospel. And he says, well, here's your proof. You remember that old joke from the blue collar comedy to you. There's your sign, right? It's the, the proof that they need is in this witness of suffering and determination. I will risk showing myself as a kind of example of what I'm talking about. And I hope that you'll bear with me because I don't hold myself in any equal stature to the apostle Paul. But let's just say that you hear my word on Sunday morning and you are moved by the authenticity and the real fervor behind my voice. But then you go home and you eat lunch and you watch a NASCAR race or football game or you go out and work in the yard or something like that. And, you know, by the end of the day, much of it is forgotten. It just is. But... If you attend classes where I teach or you are part of meetings in which I help to lead and if you happen to be in the room when I'm interacting with my wife and my children or you happen to hear me deal with criticism or you happen to see me uh, attempting to, to comfort and encourage someone. Maybe you see me get down on my knee in front of a child or someone confined to a wheelchair and, and, and somehow it becomes clear to you that there's more substance to what I've said because you see an authentic witness. And so the next time I speak, you take me a little more seriously because you've seen how I deal with these things and you've seen that I'm not just talking about it, I'm living it to the best of my ability. And when hardship comes my way, and other churches at other times have witnessed it. Thank God I haven't had any major hardships yet, but you know, they could come at any moment. We're all in that boat together. If you see how I deal with it and you hear and witness faith, suddenly when I'm talking to you on Sunday morning, my word carries more weight. That's what Paul did here, you see. He got stoned to death, or at least it looked like it. But what does he do? He eventually goes back to Antioch, where those same thugs 
who stoned him are still wandering the streets looking for someone else to abuse. And people that listen to him start thinking, boy, it doesn't seem to matter what it costs him. He won't stop talking about this Jesus. He won't stop talking about the love of Christ. And so the testimony isn't so much in the words as it is the witness, as it is the evidence in the days of our lives. And guess what? It turns out that the most powerful testimony we have when we're trying to get our children back to church or we're trying to get our co-workers to go to church or we're, we're trying to get people that we've been friends with for years to go to church, it turns out that one of the most powerful testimonies you have is how you deal with hardship. Hardship can be everything from physical difficulties that come upon you through no fault of your own. You're a victim of an accident or a disease or some other injury. You, you are a victim of crime. You know, you're, you're uh, victimized by circumstances beyond your control. How you deal with those is a powerful testimony. But how you deal with your anger, how you deal with your resentment, how you deal with fear is a powerful testimony. And honestly, there's been a great deal of anger and resentment and fear in our culture. And Christians, from what I can tell, are as bad about expressing those things as anybody in the world. There's been anger and resentment and fear in the life of this church. I'm very well acquainted with your story in the existence of this church. And I have in my own ministry years been hunted down by a Saul who wanted to bring me low because he thought that people valued me more. I have been accused of diabolical plots to overthrow the church. I have been I have been burned in effigy in small group gatherings of saints. I have heard Christians say the most ungodly, vile things to me because of anger and fear and resentment. And they don't bear witness in a way that glorifies Christ and causes others to want to follow him. And yet those same people will come to me on a different day and they'll say, you know, Pastor Dan, I keep telling all the people I work with, we've got the best preacher we've had in years. This is the best pastor we've had in a long time. He is amazing. You got to come and hear this guy. And, and, and nothing happens. And they say, I don't understand why they won't come. And I, I finally broke down one day and God rest his soul. The man I said this to is now with the Lord. But, but I said to him, brother, they hear you, but they don't see that anything about this powerful preacher and his leadership has changed you. You don't seem any different to them when you had a lousy pastor. That the, the power in the testimony is the thing that people are looking for. When you live in a transformed way, that starts to get people's attention. And yes, it starts in your own home. It starts with your own family. Do your children believe that you are deeply committed to your relationship with Christ our King? Do they? 
And it's not going to be your piety. It won't be the, the way that you forbid them to say certain things or see certain things. And, and it won't be the way that you, you, you know, piously fold your hands and pray. I, don't get me wrong. All these things are worthy of, of your attention as a parent. What they're looking at is your authenticity. And nobody sees it more clearly than your children. Nobody knows you like your children know you. I'm reminded because I have a dog again that how the, the people that look up to us like children and our pets, especially dogs because there's just this crazy canine intelligence about them, they study you. I mean, they study every little thing you do and, and they sometimes know what you're going to do before you know what you're going to do. Do your children believe what you say you believe about Jesus Christ. Do they? My son, who just became a father for the first time in the last couple of weeks, broke my heart with joy because <laughs> he said, Dad, I understand now how much you love us and I understand how much you love Jesus because you you were even willing to put all of this at risk because of what you believed. You, you stood firm when hell was trying to come and get you. I almost always choke up when I'm singing how firm a foundation and I get to that line where it says that soul though all hell should endeavor to break. I will never forsake because I have felt the weight of hell trying to break me. Have you been there? And what do your children and the people that you most desire to share your faith in Christ think at times like that? When my father passed away recently, they might have thought I was just cool about the whole thing. But it was my faith. It was my firm conviction that my father, a man of faith of his own particular type, is in the presence of Christ now and that I will see him again. It was my fervent conviction that he, like so many people I've witnessed in the journey of pastoral ministry, grew old and died. And so will I, God willing. And so I miss him, and yet I feel a peace and a, no particular anxiety or excessive grief because I look at things through this lens of eternal life. And if I tell you that, how are you going to believe me if it doesn't seem so in my witness, in the way that I walk? See, hanging on and letting go is like that. You hang on to the faith you proclaim and then let go of everything you have no control over. Let it go. We joke about that, you know, famous song made us all sing it as a joke and everything, but in reality... It is what we let go so that our freed hands can hold firmly to Christ 
It is then that we bear witness and give him glory in a way that brings communal change, familial change. I got to get on with this. The last thing I want to share with you is that Frank mentions in his book that uh, I've been referring to the importance of friendship. I have already confided in you that I don't have deep friendships really because it just hasn't worked out that way for me, but I do crave them. And I will tell you that I am more convinced than ever that the most important thing we can do in the life of this church is to develop rich friendships in small groups. That if we only come to church on Sunday morning and we only do superficial entertainment level things, then what we are is another social organization and the world's got enough of those. What we need are rich, personal, accountable relationships with other Christians. I need to see every one of you having the kind of conversations with each other that I crave and had for a few minutes with Frank. And, and the Lord's working on me on this, just so you know. I mean, I'm, I'm going to find a way to get where I need to be because one day when I'm not a pastor anymore, I'll still be a Christian on his journey of faith and I plan on working that journey till the day I walk into the presence of Christ. And so I'm not gonna give up working on my own journey with Christ, but I won't always be your pastor. So all I'm saying is, is that if I could see you doing anything that I guarantee would change this church and change this community, it would be that you join together in small groups and really hold each other accountable to the faith in Christ that you profess. And if you're not in them, I know some of you are, get in them. And perhaps if you come out and get one of these books from me at the booth out there after the service, you could even use this book as a catalyst. You can grab three or four friends and I recommend you keep your groups fairly small so that they're intimate and that you can be vulnerable with each other. Maybe you get this book and you say, let's talk about this book. Frank is fond of writing short chapters. <laughs> I think it's because he started as a blogger, you know, and, and so you could do short chapter, year long conversations around a book like this. If you do start a small group, let me know. I, I want to help you to succeed in that. If you are part of a small group, I wanna know so I can help you succeed. I will tell you that over the next several weeks, I will be pressing the issue of small groups and discipleship pathway, a discipleship pathway, an intentional commitment to a deeper Christian journey that I've been working on quietly in my spare time. And I'm gonna be pushing all of that with you so that you really are a Christian with purpose. I'm also working on a membership class because membership matters and I'm working on ways for people who aren't members to connect and be accountable for their journey of faith. All of that's coming down the pipeline, but right now I'm asking you to be a part of a small group. It's the most important thing I can tell you. And I'm gonna to have to quit because we need to get on with things because some of the small groups wanna meet as soon as we're done. And they're saying, we got a late start because the preacher was windy. Let us pray. Almighty God.
I thank you and I praise you. And I pray that the truths that you have expressed will be remembered. And any silliness, any chaff that wasn't really yours would be forgotten so that you'll be glorified by people who are committed to your kingdom. For your name's sake, amen. Mm -hmm.